due to a technical issue involving a little girl and a electrical plug. That wasn't my little girl, it was somebody else's. We'll hear about that and more in just a minute when we bring our special guest, Kyle, on. We're going to be talking today about the home production and processing of protein. We'll dig into growing your own food at home as far as growing that meat out, what to do with it when it's time for it to graduate. Maybe we'll even talk a little bit about processing game based on checking out Kyle's Instagram. Uh, I think that might be on the agenda as well. And uh, that'll be great. It kind of fit a theme that we've been talking about lately. Yesterday, I didn't even realize I was kind of double booking the meat thing because I did a whole bunch of stuff yesterday on cutting your own meat when you're sourcing it from like a warehouse store or something like that. So now we're going to expand on producing your own meat. And the way we actually process that meat is pretty much the same no matter where we get it from. And uh, so it just seems like that's going on. I also had a uh, another butcher reach out to me that Dorothy's booking right now a couple months out. So it seems like we're in a theme here. And I think that's because vegans are wrong and meat is delicious. And we'll talk about that and more in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Ridge Wallet. Ridge has been a sponsor with us now about five years. When they came to us in the beginning, they had one product. Well, they had two. They had a wallet and they had a phone case, and that was it. And they had just completed their first Kickstarter, and they were an itty-bitty tiny company. Now they are a great big company. They're an EDC company. They have all kinds of cool stuff. Remember, guys, you get 10% off everything at Ridge.com in the MSB if you are an MSB member, and they are just a great supporter of the show with some really cool gear. So you definitely want to check them out if you have not done so yet. Next up today, J.M. Bullion. Since the very beginning of the Survival Podcast, I've had a very simple recommendation about silver and gold. Recommendation one, it belongs in your portfolio. You should have some. Two, somewhere in the neighborhood of 5% of your net wealth is my personal recommendation. I'm okay with people going up to about 10%. It's a little high for me, but somewhere in that 5 to 10% range. Yes, I recommend Bitcoin, but I've never stopped recommending silver and gold. JM Bullion has been with us a decade, guys, and they give MSB members a discount on silver and gold. No one gets a discount on silver and gold. The margins in that business are razor Razor thin, but JM Bullion does it for you. They also ship all orders free if they're over 200 bucks, and they have the coolest stuff, and they have better pricing than Monix, Atmex, and Lear Capital, all three who I've told to go screw because they won't give me the contact information for anybody that's really in charge of anything where I have the contact information of the president of JM Bullion. So check them out today at jmbullion.com, and do not forget your discount. Uh, if you're buying more than 300 bucks worth, you can check the MSB for how to use that once a month. With that, let's go ahead and uh, bring our special guest on the air with us. And I didn't say your last name because I wasn't exactly sure how to pronounce your last name. I think it's Perot, like Ross Perot, even though there's more letters in there. Right. It's so I pronounce it Perot. Okay. So everyone wants to pronounce it the French way, but you know what? I'm American, so All right. All right. <laughs> I pronounce it the T. I don't even want to tell you the right way to say Spirico because that's been given oh, up. Oh, yeah, exactly. Everybody in the Spirico clan has given up on the P sounding like a V. Like, right. we just let that alone. There's no way to explain it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I explained that to someone once, but, but it's like, it's a French name. You're supposed to pronounce it that way. I'm like, dude, I live in the middle of the wo- middle of the woods, and I shoot animals in the face. Pronounce the T. <laughs> it's fine. Like, the T is not silent. Yeah. 
<laughs> so cool, man. Kyle, can you start out with like before you were into butchering and all, like what is your like your professional background? Like go back to like you're in school trying to figure out what to do with your life. And, and how does that lead you to where you're doing what you do today? Well, I, so I didn't grow up in any of this. My mom worked at a bank like my stepdad owned a um, auto body shop and I was just kind of getting through high school. Um, I had already paperwork and everything all set up to go to the military. I was going to go in the army and I was just stocking groceries at the local grocery store. Um, I ended up getting employee of the year and all the departments were like, come work for us. And I was like, yeah, meat department pays most. I'll go make bank for a summer, hang out with my friends and go off to boot camp. And then it bit me. I, I fell in love with, fell in love with it. Um, the manager at the time was working for somebody who processed wild game and he basically did what I do now, which is process, um, livestock for farmers and stuff like that. And at the time, I guess I had just kind of not really thought about where meat came from really. Like I knew it was animals, but I didn't really think about it. Um, and as soon as I kind of got in to thinking about it and learning more, I was like, this sounds pretty cool. Um, and from there I got an apprenticeship, uh, have did that for about two years and then moved on to some quote unquote gourmet steak tip shops and yeah. ended up managing those, um, until I ended up, uh, getting a job at a USDA facility and starting to break down whole animals and stuff. So you started out as a meat cutter in a grocery store. And I think a lot of that has changed, right? Like, I remember back when I was a kid working in a grocery store, getting ready to go off to the military myself. There was this old man that cut the meat for the store that I worked in. And, like, they literally did everything back then. It was all, you know, like subprimals that came in. Everything was handled in-house. And so I don't know how long ago we're going back to where you were working in a grocery store. But have you noticed that there's, like, less of it being done locally now? Oh, for sure. And I wasn't even cutting. I was just packing. I oh, was okay. the, I was the guy putting labels on gross packages of chicken because they overflowed or something like that. Okay. I was that kid. But yeah, I mean, even when I was there, that was, God, 13 years ago now, it was, we would still get primals and everything in, mm -hmm. but it was basically almost perfectly trimmed primals that all you had to do was cut steaks and maybe trim a little bit of fat. Okay. And burger was literally came in in 10 pound tubes that was already yeah. round that you had to grind again. Yeah. But if you look at it now, like the way they're going with it is everything comes in prepackaged. Yeah. Like if you look at Walmart or any of those places where you're buying meat, there's no one cutting. Like there might be a guy there that has access to a knife that can do specialty stuff, but it's everything comes prepacked, pre cryovax, good to go, put it on the shelf, you're done. Yeah. Yeah, I was saying yesterday, I really don't even, I'm not even willing to buy ground anymore. No, like, I, I do my own grind. I would rather go buy, even if I bought a whole chuck roll, diced mm -hmm. it up and just ground the whole thing, I'm going to pay less, and I know what's in it, and it's better quality. It's going to be way better quality. I've, I've done that. Like, I raise my own meat, but if there's times in between where it's like chucks are on sale, it's like, hell yeah, I'll get a couple extra roasts and some burger. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so how, so I, I didn't really get then how you really got started uh, with actually like doing the butchering and stuff. Cause I thought what you were saying is you started in the grocery, but you basically started in the meat department, in the grocery. And then how did that 
transcend into where you're actually putting a knife on the meat, making cuts and doing things and doing processing? Um, well, like I said, I was doing that for a while and then the military thing kind of got out of my head of just like, all right, like maybe this is more the way I should go with it. Um, tried to progress in the grocery store and they weren't too keen of moving me up to getting the training done. So I said, all right, cool. I'm going to go find something elsewhere and ended up uh, in an apprenticeship at a small shop. There was a former uh, retired firefighter who was a butcher before he was a firefighter and was like, Hey, I'm going to start a butcher shop, but it just happened to be in one of the biggest dr drug dens in the state of New Hampshire. Oh. <laughs> he bought a whole <laughs> convenience store and was like, we're going to turn this around and turn it into a meat shop. Um, and I learned a lot. I learned a ton. Um, we did a lot of, again, a lot of primal stuff. Um, but then we also did wild game. Like we did a bunch of deer. Um, we did a handful of cows and pigs and stuff like that. So I was able to actually get my hands on knives and be able to work. But on top of that, he taught me all of the, it was, it's, he taught me all the things you need to learn in an apprenticeship, which is all the grunt work, all the stupid stuff that you don't want to do, and but you have to in order to have a good um, basis of understanding of what you're doing. Freezer paper, labeling, all of these random things that everyone overthinks, and it's a pain in the butt every time they have to do it every hunting season. I was doing it for nine hours a day. Yeah, yeah. But now I can freezer paper with my eyes closed. Yeah. It's been 13 years of it. So it's like, it's one of those situations where it sucks, but you got to go through it. Um, yeah. That's so an interesting that point. Cause like, personally, I love cutting meat. I mean, I, it's like, it's like therapy for me, but right. I do not get in a hurry. And just a side note, I warned you guys with the banner earlier. Eka mouse is here. She's going to be pissed if y'all don't like the freaking <laughs> video while you're sitting here watching it. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoy it and it is like therapy for me, but like I can break a deer down pretty fast, but it's usually like a three beer hour and a half in my garage being totally left alone with the dog staring at me for scraps. Right. And I do it that way because I enjoy doing it that way. If you're doing this professionally, you can't be farting around like that. You know, I mean, you've got to, you've got to move. And you've got to also package for – it's not really retail because you're giving it back to the same customer, but almost as though it were for retail. Absolutely, and that's and that's how I run my business now. We have a cryovac machine and everything to mm -hmm. make everything a little more professional, printer labels and stuff like that to really make it look nice because in the at the end of the day, people are coming to me to have a good product or to get their product back in a professional way. Sure. And that's how I feel as though I need to carry it. And it's yeah. like, I wish, I wish I could take an hour and a half to cut up a deer. Yeah. That would be, yeah. that would be so nice. I'm going from skinning all the way through, but still right. like, I mean, you're just, you're just jacking around when you're doing that, you know? Oh, um, yeah. if, I, if I, if I, if I take 15 minutes to skin that deer out, I'm taking too long. Oh yeah. That kind of thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 And like, um, the other thing is, like, I was talking about yesterday how, like, you can always cut a piece of meat after it comes out of the freezer, but you can't put it back together. Exactly. So you have to worry, does your customer want chops or, like, a loin roast? 
like what I'm doing in my deer, I'm always going to freeze it as like, I'll take the full backstrap, two pieces, loin mm-hmm. roast in the freezer. Because if I decide when I pull that out, I want to do thick chops or I want to do like pounded country fried chops or something. I can always do that then. Your customer, each, I imagine each deer is cut to order based on what they said they want from you. Absolutely. And I think it's super funny because I always tell my customers, because we have a bunch of deer shops around here that like pop up this time of year where it's, they're just randomly came out of nowhere. Yeah. It's like, I am shocked how many, how many of my wild game customers have never filled out a cut sheet. Like I'll sit down with them and I'll go, all right, so what do you want? And they're like, what do you mean? What do you like, mean? I give you a deer and then you give me back yeah. all my stuff and I have to pick hair off of it. And it's like, no, I do this for a living. This is what I do <laughs> all year round. Of it. No, 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 you're doing it wrong. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I do this all year round. So do you want French um, loin racks? Yeah. I'll do it. That's fine. Do you want specific cuts? Do you want them cut a specific thickness? Would you rather have roasts? Would you rather have grinds? Yeah. What is your family? So I always yeah. think like that is my biggest thing about processing is sitting down with the customer and going over cut sheets. Cause I don't want to give you back a whole bunch of stuff that you're not going to eat because yeah. we've all, we've all had us. We all have a section of our freezer that is just the forbidden zone where it's like, there's a freezer bag full of Turkey wings or like, yeah random stuff that you're not going to eat. So I would much rather process it in a way that your family is going to be able to utilize and be successful with eating it. Like, yeah. Do you ever deal with the people that don't understand that there's not as much meat on a deer as they think there is? Uh, every, every year, every, every year. Single yeah. one. But like- I, I will say though, what I get the majority of is I have customers pick up and they go, is there is there more than one deer in this? Oh, okay. Like, no, this is how much this is how much meat you're supposed to get. Yeah. Like yeah. I gave you everything. Yeah. Cause I, and it all goes back to I'm not doing this for extra money, like on the side. I'm doing this for a living, and it's something I enjoy and take pride in. So it's like, yeah, you're gonna bring me a deer that you shot six times, and I'm gonna give you the best product I can possibly give you. But I'm also gonna look at you straight in the face with pictures and go, yeah. "That's why you don't have as much as you'd like." Yeah, yeah, because you used a 44 magnum, and you can re- eat right up to the hole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the hole's bigger than the than the penetration hole. Yeah, I, I, I've seen that too. I also know that like your deer are bigger than our deer. Like people down here, are like man, I only got like 40 pounds of meat. Dude, you must have shot a big ass deer. That was a big deer. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a big because you're you know you're talking deer. We have like trophy rack bucks that weigh 120 pounds live weight. Exactly. So if you're shooting a doe here, you're probably shooting like a mature doe is 80 to 90 pounds. I remember as a kid, I shot one doe that dressed at almost 200 in Pennsylvania because you got the snow drifts and all, and they're just bigger bodied animals up there. Yeah, we're getting some hang weight. Like, uh, I think the biggest one last year was, I think it was about an eight point. And I think hang weight, it was like 140. Okay. So that's kind of what we're getting in. I got I got a bunch of people giving me crap because I've been getting some bears in lately because now it's bear season. Hmm. And it's, we don't have limits up here on what to shoot. Oh. People get excited. So it's people not. Cubs. Yeah. I, I mean, brought not, you a bear. It's yeah, in not, my game sack. 
Listen, I've, I've had one of those. Thankfully, they haven't been that this year. They've been like hang weight 60, 70 pounds. But it's still, you look at a 60, 70 pound bear in the cooler yeah. and you're like, ah, yeah. Poor you know, guy. and even when you shoot like a 200, 250 pound black bear, when you throw mm-hmm. them in the back of a truck or something, they just kind of roll up. They don't look as big as they are. Oh, and they bad. don't. And that's and that is something I do try to tell, talk to people who do like, because they can give me shit all they want. Like, yeah. it's not my bear. I didn't also, do it. Don't don't give my customers shit. Like, did yeah. you shoot a bear this year? It's one of those things where it's it's so hard to tell size on black bears. Obviously, you can tell it's like, oh, that's a big bear or that's yeah. a small bear. But all yeah. of a sudden now it's 60 yards away and there's a bear in front of you and you have a yeah. bear tag. Yeah. You're going to shoot it. And you've right. been hunting for 25 years and never saw a bear while exactly. you were hunting in your life. They did that in Pennsylvania, too. They allowed the, the harvest of cubs. And the reason they actually did it was sometimes the cubs like 130, 140 pounds. And what was happening is guys were bringing their, because they'd go to the check station with the bear mm-hmm. and the game warden pulls the tooth and they were retroactively being cited for shooting a cub when the warden that pulled the tooth didn't even know it was a cub when he pulled the tooth. But when right. they look at the tooth, they say this was a cub. And uh, there's a guy named Gary Alt that basically saved the PA uh, bear herd. And he was like, we got to put a stop to this. This is, But then it had that other side. Like now anybody just shoot, like you freaking go out with a freaking birdshot, knock one out of a tree or something. So anyway, let's move on from there, because not only do you process game, you process livestock and you're farming as well and growing your own food. Yes. How did you get from just being a processor into growing your own meat? Well, it really started when I was still kind of working at some of the retail shops and doing stuff like that. I always knew I wanted to get into whole animal, but up here there weren't, there weren't classes, there weren't schools to go to, to learn how to do this. It was one of those things where if I wanted to learn, I needed to do it. So I can't tell you how many free deer I cut up, stuff like that. But the big thing was I started raising poultry. I started raising rabbits. I started just kind of, if I wanted to cut something up, it was going to be something I raised because mm-hmm. I also didn't want to just hack up somebody's stuff that I didn't know about. Granted, I did that quite a bit as well. Um, but when we bought our property where we are now, I knew we were going to build a process facility and we bought a 14 acre farm. I knew we were going to raise bigger livestock at some point. And of course, I started completely ass backwards and I started with beef. Like, <laughs> you started with beef. And I didn't even. I have, hate myself. Let yeah, me I, didn't even, myself. I didn't even have fences. I didn't even have fences. We, we were boarding um, a couple cows for a friend who were pregnant. His setup wasn't conducive um, for them to have the babies in. I had two spare stalls. So I was like, bring them over. We watched um, the first one be born. And I was like, Okay, so this is going to be a part of our life forever. Like hmm. at this point, our my oldest was like one and a half, and I was like, "This is going to be a part of all of our lives forever." She's going to grow up in this and learn about it. Um, and yeah, it progressed from there. Um, we're actually getting out of beef now because I realized what a crazy idea that is. Um, we won't be doing it forever, but um, or we 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 will be doing it again, but it'll be a little bit. Um, and we're taking the deep dive into pork right now. Um, we've got, what do we have? We have 17 pigs on the ground right now. And awesome. we're, 
we're moving some stuff around. Yeah, that's that's my old boar. I'm actually pretty upset. Uh, he passed away a couple of months ago. I had to put him down. He had a, uh, I think it was a combination heat stroke and an infection. Okay. But we have we have ten of his piglets on the ground right now. We just pulled them off a mom. That's awesome, man. Yeah, for those that are on the audio only, I've got Kyle's uh, Instagram up now, and we'll we'll play with some other images and stuff at times. Um, how do you think people should get into starting their own pro? You know, raising their own protein. I think the first first piece of advice might be the one we've already inferred, which is don't start with beef. Don't start uh, with beef. Don't yeah. start with beef. What would you recommend they do? Poultry, for sure. Okay. Um, if you're walking past tractor supply and you see the tubs full of chicks, dabble in it. There's a thousand YouTube channels, a thousand YouTube videos that are talking about how to easy start um, chicks and stuff like that. Grab 10 meat birds and play with it. Play around with how you want your setup, how you want to do it. Raise them out. Process them yourself. Once again, there's a thousand videos on how to do it. I don't have any yet because I actually don't have poultry at the moment. It's been very okay. nice, but we're getting back into it next year. Um, okay. And the other thing I would say is rabbits. Rabbits is another really good protein source, really quick turnover, really easy care, and very easy to process. It's a little, it's a little more emotionally damaging, but it is a very easy process to do. Until you find out that rabbits can be assholes, and it they becomes sure a little can. less emotionally damaging once they once you realize that, right? Yeah, because like, rabbits. I know people are like it's a bunny. Bunnies can be assholes, man. I'm they telling sure, you, like they sure can. Bunnies uh, bite. Bunnies bite. Hard. And they bite. Yes, they, they bite, bite real hard. Of course, if somebody was fixing to process me, I might bite too. No, I get it. But sometimes they bite for no reason, like just. Because you were there and they felt like it. What I like about rabbits over poultry is honestly that it is much easier to provide feed for a rabbit without going to the feed store than it is for a chicken. Now, I always recommend that people have like a backup supply of pellets. But if you're in a place with good grass and clover and whatnot, I mean, a bagging mower and a mini bale maker, you can build out of plywood. There's a thousand people on YouTube showing you how to do it. You can pretty much feed rabbits for zero money. And and even if you're going to rely on a feed store, the fact that if you had an issue, you still could feed your animals, mm-hmm. that's a big deal to me. Oh, it's an, it's an absolutely huge deal. And it's something I think about quite a bit. Because, again, we're, we're in the mode of raising pork is really going to be a big part of my income, hopefully. We're trying to get into there. And it's we're right at bare bones. We're right at that precipice of it's like i need to take jump and start investing in a lot more things to get it done mm-hmm. um and that scares me too a bunch if anything ever happens like how am i going to feed all these things and it's like yeah you got to figure it out um rabbits are you can feed them grass you can you my wife goes out we still have two we still have two of our breeders they're just pets now and they live in the backyard and depending on who's doing chores i just give them the pellets but my wife will go around and she'll actually pull grass out. Here's fresh mm-hmm. grass, you sweet, beautiful creatures. And I'm just like, can you let me kill these things yet? I don't want to deal with them. <laughs> they like bamboo leaves, too, just saying. Like, that's wow. another source of feed that you can have. And they love freaking um, lamb's quarters. It was sticking in my head. I was going to say Goosefoot because it's a Goosefoot family, but they love yeah. lamb's quarters. So if you live where there's tons of lamb's quarters, you feed all the rabbits. You it's high protein. Anyway, moving on. Um, 
What is the easiest way for people to start processing their own livestock? It's again, it kind of goes back to the easiest way is get a, get a decent knife, get a decent steel, some freezer paper and some chickens or a rabbit and just start practicing. Um, you're not going to jump into breaking down beef. I hate to tell everyone who's thinking that that's the way they're going to go, um, but they're not. You need to learn the knife skills. You need to have an understanding of where the knife is going to be on the animal while you're breaking things down, even down to where the joints and stuff are. Yes, chickens have very different joint structure than a pig or a cow, but when you have the baseline knowledge of if I put my knife here and cut and then pull, this comes off. That translates to large animals. So if you can figure out how to cut up and break down your own rabbits or chickens or quail or any of these small animals, it'll help you when you start um, progressing into raising beef, raising cattle, raising sheep, or honestly doing your own hunting. Again, that's another huge one. Like, Start hunting your own deer, start hunting mm-hmm. your own bear, stuff like that. Don't pay a processor to do it. Sit in your garage for an hour and a half with your laptop or your phone out with a six pack of beer and go, all right, we're going to figure this out like one cut at a time. Yeah. I, prom- I promise you it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. Never, I am so glad I don't have pictures of the first handful of deer I cut up. But you progress and you learn from the mistakes. I'll tell you, the first time I ever saw a deer get cut up, I was 11. Mm-hmm. And the next deer that came in, go do it. Yeah. And right, like I saw it one time and then went and did it. And I was a fiend back then. I didn't want anything to go to waste. I'd damn near be there with a toothpick getting that last piece mm-hmm. of red off of a uh, of like a shoulder blade or something. And I don't do that. I realize how dumb that is. But, you know, right. my point is, if I could do it when I was 11 years old, there ain't a person watching this that can't learn to do it. And yes, you will get better. Your cuts will look nicer. There'll be less hair to pick off the meat. Right. You'll take silver skin off and it'll just be silver skin instead of a quarter inch of flesh. Mm-hmm. But you got to learn if you want to do it and you got to start somewhere. And like you said, if you start with a chicken or something and you mess up a chicken, so what? Who cares? Make stir fry out of it. It'll be fine. I even say that with like getting like subprimals and doing your own parting out. It, it, the stuff is so cheap compared to what you buy in the store that's prepared for you. If you end up making stew and burger out of it, you're still ahead and you've learned something. Right. And it's one of those things like you joke about being there like when you're 11. It's like I have so I have a four year old and a one and a half year old and they've both been on kill floors since they were three weeks old. OK, my, my four year old has a butter knife that she comes in. It, usually she comes in during game season. Just because right now, when I'm doing all my livestock, I'm still hanging everything off the tractor. We're going to build a canopy with some winches to make it a little bit safer for me. Yeah. But right now, I can do all the wild game inside with a winch. So she'll come out since she's been one and a half. She's had a little butter knife. And I swear to God, that kid has better knife handling skills than most adults I know. Yeah. Yeah, one thing I would tell people, especially as you start working with like really cold, cold meat is easier to cut. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a really cold environment, your hands start getting numb, you can cut yourself and not know it. For sure. I really recommend, especially people starting out, get 
I've got up on the screen, a pair of cut-resistant gloves. And it, to me, it's not really important on your knife hand, but on your non-knife hand. Right. Um, one of my good friends was a surgeon. And mm-hmm. so a surgeon knows how to cut, but in a microscope, you know, with a bunch of people helping right. him. And he wasn't butchered. He was just doing work in the kitchen and cut into the nerve of his left hand. And he was a uh, OB surgeon. So he did a lot of like tying tubes and stuff, which is very routine, but a very delicate surgery. He ended up retiring because he did not have the physical dexterity anymore and the feeling in his fingers to do that. Right. And so I'll be honest that I really don't hardly ever use one, except like I said, if it's winter and I'm out in the shop and my hands are like ice, I will. But it's something that, especially somebody that's new, and you're not really sure exactly where that tip is, and you get in a hurry, you should be using a sharp knife, and that means what you touch with it, you cut with it. For for sure. So I'll touch on that for a second. When I was at the USDA plant, we had to wear cut gloves. Okay. Like just the cloth ones um, with the microfiber or whatever in them we, for, like, insurance reasons, and they were fine. Now I only wear, like, like the mechanic work gloves. Yeah. I'll usually wear one on my um, non-cutting hand. And again, it's just to keep my hand warm and stuff like that. But if anyone in here has the illusion that they're not going to cut themselves doing this, you're going to cut yourself. I promise you, you're going to cut yourself. Do not go into it with the mindset of I'm not because you are. You can go ahead and look at my arms. Yeah. I, I, uh, where it was right here, I actually nicked a tendon. I was boning out. I was boning out a rib plate and I just, my knife was dull and it slipped and I just stabbed myself. And because I'm me and my wife's an ICU nurse, I didn't do anything about it. And then about three weeks later, she saw it and was like, you need to go to the hospital. And <laughs> I talked to a hand, hand uh, specialist. And he's like, oh, actually, and he looked at it and he goes, can you do this? Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're fine. Uh, he's like, actually, that tendon, humans don't need it anymore. It's evolved to the point that you don't need it. And 50% of humans don't have that tendon. So if you do... If you do this, uh-huh. it's this tendon right here, the one that sticks out. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. I think I'll keep my tendon, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But then I ended up talking to the guy for another 40 minutes about the beep that he raises. So it's like, it's one of those okay. things that all worked out. I'm like, so you're going to yeah. sign this paperwork saying I can go back to work, right? He goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And like I said, the cold thing is a two-edged sword. That hand is cold. Sometimes you don't yeah. feel it. Um, take your time and, and you're a hell of a lot less likely to do it. And the other thing I've been talking about as I've been doing these shows recently on cutting meat is a lot of the knives we use for meat cutting have that curved blade or that upswept tip. And that's mm-hmm. very useful because we can do things like get inside and pull meat off of a shoulder blade or something, but don't use those freaking knives to dice freaking tomatoes with and shit. Cause no. Yeah, that it's, sweat tip. You're, you know, that if you had proper knife skills, but most people don't, you'd probably still be okay. But instead of poking yourself, you're cutting yourself. Yeah, and it's one of those. I have a, I've, I think I have a couple of videos on knives, on just like what I use, why I use them, what they're specifically used for, and like how to maintain them and stuff like that. I highly suggest that if you're getting into butchering, get yourself a Victory Knox six inch boning knife semi flex. That is the knife to start <laughs> that was out with. literally yesterday's item of the day. Yeah, exactly. Right. That is the knife that you need to start out with. And from there, you can progress. I'm like, for her, for what I use, 
I use, I forget, I think it's a geyser. I think geyser is the brand. I would much rather have a straight blade, um, stiff, uh, stiff knife. Okay. I like being able to have the leverage to get around the bones and stuff like that. Obviously I still use the semi flex because you need to like getting into closer bones and breaking joints and stuff like that. It's great, but you don't learn any, you don't know any of this unless you do it or you talk to somebody who has done it. So it's, I've been putting out a lot of uh, content, a lot of videos showing, Hey, use this knife for this, use this knife for this. You're Mm going to have better. um, You're going to have, you're going to use it better and get better product because of this reason, not just some guy going, yeah, use this one. Well, why? I don't know. Like, Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. I don't post on Instagram like ever. So yeah. I forget some of these things you're, pu- you're pulling up. Yeah. For uh, those on the audio, it's him with, it looks like a six inch semi stiff knife breaking down a deer hindquarter. Yep. <laughs> I, mean, I think I did. I think I did that one in two minutes. I think it was, okay. I think it was less than two. Yeah. And you can see the, the the way I'm talking about holding the knife there where he's holding it more like you would think of like stabbing somebody in the face with a knife. Yeah. But for certain angles that you're getting to, it's just a more efficient way to go. And you can see he's all, you said you're wearing mechanics gloves, but to me, any glove actually helps because you feel it. Like I remember right. when I was a kid, my dad was a bootleg coal miner and I'm in a coal hole with him and he used to keep your cap on. Well, we didn't have helmets on because he said if the, if the top came down, he's dead anyway. Right. Right. But he's like, well, I'm like, well, what the hell is a cap going to do? So the first time I walked in there without my cap on, I cracked my head on the on the roof. That was if you stood up, you'd hit it right. like three times. And I realized that every time you stood up, as soon as your cap touched, you stopped standing up. Like, so I think having something. That and that's and that's how I look at the mechanics clubs. It's one of those yeah. things. I don't like having something that's super thick and yeah. get in the way. It gets in the way of me grabbing things and stuff like that. But if I have something, I've been doing this for 13, 14 years. Yeah. So. I know where my knife is. I know where it's going to be. If I'm being loosey goosey with it and all of a sudden something gets a little close, it's going to hit the glove. It's going to hit the rubber glove and on the mechanic glove before it hits my hand. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about your farm. What are your goals? We kind of established that beef will come back at some point, but right now it's pig centric. What are your overall goals with your farming, your homesteading, what have you? Um, so we are on a 14 acre farm, um, and our process facility is on the property as well. Um, it used to be a horse farm back in the day. Um, so it's open fields. It's basically the entire 14 acres is open, which is amazing. I call it a blank canvas. You can't find a stone in it. You can't find a rock in the field, which is insane for New Hampshire. Um, and, my plan is just kind of to continue growing pasture. Right now, we probably have about seven seven acres fenced in between woven wire and just regular um, four strands of electric. Um, my plan is to just continue on, basically fence off the whole field, um, start planting some fruit and nut trees, and really start hitting it with some regenerative, like rotational farming. Because before we got it, the field hadn't been taken care of in years. I've done what I can at this point to try and bring it back with hanging it and cutting it, but the hay's crap. Like it's just not good quality. We lost a calf because of it our first year. Um, and it's one of those things where I want to build back the soil bank 
and also at the same time use everything I have. I'm not going to spend the $60,000 minimum that it costs <laughs> to get into haying equipment. And I'm not going to pay someone to hay it when I know it's not good quality hay. Um, that, that's actually at uh, my old USDA plant I worked at. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but so it's one of those things where we, I'm trying to be able to turn this property into as self-sufficient as possible and grow it as much as possible. Um, my thought is that in a couple of years, once I have it, all the pastures done up and everything built up to where we're getting really good hay and grass and stuff coming in, um, maybe look at some of the smaller breeds of cows, like some of the mini Herefords and stuff like that. Raising beef in New Hampshire is tough. Like down in Texas, you guys got grass all year. I've probably got another month before it starts getting cold and everything dies. And then I'm not going to see grass again until April. March. Like April. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we, where we are, we're, um, we're, I say Northern New Hampshire, we're right at the bottom of Northern New Hampshire. Like where the snow belt is, we're yeah. right there. Okay. So we'll get two, three feet of snow this winter. And I, they're predicting that this is going to be a bad winter. The past couple of years, we've probably gotten four or five over one foot storms. So yeah, we're going to have an El Nino, La Nina flip yeah. this cycle and we need it, but it's going to, yeah, it's going to be a harder winter for, for us and for you, for other parts of the country, it'll actually probably be milder, but the Northeast and the, the Southern belt are going to have harder than typical for well, them. For yeah. how, for how wet this summer's been for us, like yeah. I'm dreading, I'm dreading this winter. I think we've, we've had more rain here than I can remember like ever having it this be this rainy like last year no one was getting hay because we were in the middle of a crazy drought and we were begging for rain this year nobody got hay because it, everything was soaked and if you Too did wet. get hay i can't tell you how many pictures on the marketplace like the farming marketplaces of completely full hay wagons of people going two dollars bail come take it got caught in the rain like People got screwed this year, so it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting winter for us. Yeah, yeah, I think like I said here too. Um, you also do quite a bit of content creation. I had your Instagram up. I'll pull up kind of your YouTube channel here right now. What are your kind of goals as, as a content creator? Um, I just kind of want to keep growing with it. It's one of those things where I. I haven't had cable in like 10 years. So it's the majority of what I watch has been YouTube. I've always wanted to kind of get into this space. And for me, there's almost a bit of a feeling where it's like, I'm kind of giving back now because it's, again, I didn't have a school to go to, to learn anything. But what I did was learn a whole bunch of stuff on YouTube. Like, and it was one of those things, Brian from the lots project says it a lot. He's like, put out videos of stuff that you're searching for. Cause if you can't find it, more than likely somebody else is looking for it too. So I kind of keep that in my head of just like, what was I looking for six years ago? What was I looking for seven years ago when I didn't know how to do something? Mm -hmm. well, all right. Like I'm going to set up my phone and talk on camera for a little bit. Yeah, I do. I do love editing. I, I'm a bit of a masochist. I love editing. I love fencing. Like, <laughs> I'm one take. I'm like, I do one takes and people think that's really good. That's just, I don't want to freaking edit it. Right. I don't hate it. It's just time consuming. 
it's very time consuming. You know, you we got on a couple minutes late, and you saw I was like doing so much shit right. while we were getting ready to roll, while you were waiting for your computer to restart. Like I'm busy enough; I don't need to add editing to it. So I'm right. doing shorts now, but I'm using Opus Pro. Yeah. which is an AI-driven tool that's making segments of my videos. And I don't just throw them up there like a lot of people do. I do at least go through them because it does the subtitles and all. And a lot of those will be wrong probably because of my redneck uh, language. And so I'll fix I, I the it. little things or take stupid icons out. But pretty much they are what the thing chops up. And it'll make like 20 of them out of an episode. And I'll use like 10 of them. And that's the old – it's not that I think that it does a great job. It does a good job. And it's the only way I have time – to add that to something that I'm going to do. Yeah, no, it's tough. And it's one of those things where it's like, you just had my YouTube pulled up. Most of my, I think the shortest of my videos are like 15 minutes. Yeah. Progressing all the way to 50 minutes. Yeah. Because it's one of those things, I'm not going to be able to put out a video of breaking down a half a beef in 15 minutes. No. Like there's going to be, there's good, there's a bunch of time lapse in there. There's a bunch of quick edits, moving stuff around. And it's I'm at the point with it now where I like I just have a template in my head of what I need to do, where I need to do it. Yeah. Um, and we were on uh, two man Tim show uh, last weekend. We were doing a content creation roundtable and we were joking about it because I've only been doing this five months. So I don't have a parameter of where my successes are and how yeah. well I'm doing with it. Um, I would love to get Opus. And it's, it's just at the moment. I'm like, I don't have the money to get yeah. invested in it because again yeah. we've been doing this five months um so i am leaving a lot of content on the table when it comes to the podcast because i do also have a podcast uh meet the critters um we have farmers producers um other butchers basically anyone who's growing their own food whether it be protein veggies anything um on and it essentially it just turns into a like a therapy session of like how hard is this? Why are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like my wife and I, with this this summer that we've had, we were like, "Why? Why do? Why do we live here again?" I, oh yeah, it, but it, it, by the end, it always turns back around to like, yeah, yeah I wouldn't do anything different. This is yeah. the greatest thing on the face of the planet, and I'll take all the struggle that goes along with it to continue to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah, we were talking about that too. Like, you know, it was, we had pretty much an average high temperature in August of 108 degrees. Uh-uh. And you're probably sitting up there in New Hampshire going, yeah, baby, sweat your ass off. I ain't coming down there. But when you're looking at three feet of snow February and I'm outside wearing a t shirt like yeah. this, I feel pretty good about it. Like, there's trade offs, all jobs, all careers, all businesses, all geographies. All ages in life, like when you're 20, you think being young sucks. And when you're 50, you're like, man, I would like to be 20 again. You know, and then you also think, well, there were some things that sucked because I didn't have any money and I didn't know shit. And that sucked. So, like, there's always trade offs. Well, I I just had John Dowie on and we were talking because he's he's my I call him my Internet neighbor because he lives in Derry, which is like an hour from me, hour and a half from me. And we were talking about how everyone has that thought. It's like, oh, you're in New Hampshire. You just got three feet of snow and it's cold all the time. It's like we had a week where it was in the hundreds all week. Like, yeah. and it, but again, it's a week. A week. But it's, we have yeah. that crazy hot and humid all summer. And I'm yeah. done with it. It was. I don't miss the humidity. It was 97 man. last week yeah. in September. And I'm yeah. like, I'm done. I'm, abs- I'm cutting up black bears. 
I am so done with this heat. I'm done. I like 92 in Pennsylvania in the summer was like 110 here. Oh, it's, like, it's just because you just feel like you're wearing a diaper on your face or something. Like it's just so gross the humidity. This year though, we had humidity all the way up till August. Yeah. Like that never happens here. We had no rain, but we had humidity, which I don't understand, but that's how it worked out. And so. do you got do you guys have black flies down there? What's that? Do you guys have black flies down there? We do, but not here. Yeah. Um we have down black like flies by the coast, like on the beach. You do not hang out by the dunes. Mm-mm. If you are down by the water, they're not there. But as soon as you get up by the sand dunes, those things attack we have the black ones and the yellow ones. And they feel like you're getting shot with a dart when they bite you. Those things blow. Um, I'm also very familiar with them from my time on the Appalachian Trail. I actually hiked oh, yeah. up to about where North Conway is when I quit my uh, my hike on that section of the AT. And uh, I more than once will admit to having seen someone coming the other direction who was like a day hiker. So they smelled all nice with shampoo and shit and like and dumping, dumping a black fly that had been harassing me for a mile Right, like stop, talk to them, and then slip out the back, and like here's a fly. Right, those things blow. Oh, they're crazy. Yeah, <laughs> so we're I'm about forty minutes from where you stopped. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah, I remember I had my wife up there a few years ago, more than a few years ago. Now we were doing a Liberty Forum, and so we went up to North Conway. We went to uh, what's that general store there? It's a real big one. Zebs. Anyway, what's that? Zebs. Zebs. Yeah, Zebs. Yeah. I knew she'd like that. And then when we were getting back on the highway, right where that notch is, oh, yeah. we almost got blown off the damn highway. Mm-hmm. Oh, there is some winds up in that place. I mean, so like, I'm in the car literally taking it back or were you on, like, 16? Yeah. Kangamangus yeah. is, like, that big scenic highway that goes to the mountains. And, yeah, yeah. that's crazy. We've had uh, my f- wife's family. We did uh, charity rides um, for Boston Children's Hospital. And they would always do um, the round. Like we'd start in Meredith, they'd go up, go to go uh, the Kank, and come back around in. And there were a couple years where it was like torrentially downpouring while there's 150 motorcycles on the Kank, and they're like, "We're never doing this again." Like, <laughs> can, can you talk? Coming back to the main subject, like yeah. how raising livestock can help your property and sustain your family, because I think there's. There's two things there. You were mentioned about pasture quality. And the thing is, the best way you can improve pasture quality is proper grazing. Right. Yeah. So there's two ways to think about it. Because there's the people that are very much in the mindset of like, well, you need to keep cutting, like cutting your fields and it'll help build back your seed bank or whatever. And it's like, yeah, yeah, to an extent, it's like the soil that we have is awesome. Like you dig down probably a good eight inches and it's just Black. Black. It's yeah. perfect. But then under that is sand. We're in a weird okay. spot. I don't get it. Okay. But the best way to bring, there's the other thinking of it, which is starting to do rotational to where it's like, all right, I'm going to put animals on the landscape. They're going to go through, depending on what you're doing, whether it's beef or pigs or poultry, preferably all three, if you're set up for it, to where it's, all right, now the cows are going to go. They're going to eat the tops of the grass, and then you're going to move them to the next one. You're going to put the pigs behind them. They're going to go through and they're going to root everything over. They're going to eat all the roots and turn over all of that soil to help aerate the ground, get stuff that hasn't seen the light of day in a decade up from the ground. 
Then you put birds behind that. They're going to go through and they're going to level everything out. Mm-hmm. But now what you've done there, instead of buying a tiller and going through and tearing up the land or doing whatever, now you've done that and fed your livestock all at the exact same time. So now next year, when all of a sudden spring rolls around, you're going to have crops that you're going to have grasses that are going to start growing that haven't grown in years because Correct. they haven't had the ability to. Yeah. And grazing moves you toward perennials, right? It just right. does because annuals don't get to go to seed. They stop right. seeding. Perennials take over. Like perennials are tougher in the long run, but they get outcompeted in the short run. So you have to give them the advantage. And as you start building up perennial grass pasture, you start having these grasses that have roots that go all the way down into that sand layer you're talking about, go down feet, not inches. And as they get into that sand layer, they begin to create more moisture holding capacity. You get the symbiotic relationships with soil organisms and you actually start building carbon in the sand layer. Right. And, And that's incredibly important. And at the same time, you're producing a product for yourself and your family to eat. But on, on a piece of property as big as yours, you can produce a hell of a lot more than you can eat. Are you like doing any kind of barter or we're doing we're doing quite a bit of barter and jumping through loop through uh, the government loopholes of how I'm classified. So my shop is classified as a custom exempt butcher shop. So essentially okay. I can process um, a farmer's livestock and that livestock goes back to the farmer. Okay. Um, and I do raise my own pigs and then I sell those pigs with a deposit. And then at the end, there is a certain weight that's given with a certain price to cover all of my, all of the boarding fees. So that mm-hmm. includes care, yeah. feed, all of that. So again, I am not cutting up a pig, my pig. I am cutting up your pig that I raised. Yeah. So there's just through 101, man. Exactly. There's there's some loopholes that that work really well. Um, but yeah, so I, there is quite a bit of barter. I mean, we just got a slaughter floor, like a concrete slab poured with drainage out back of the shop. Because again, I've been I've been on my own for it'll be two years in April, next April. So it's we're still pretty new and we're still trying to figure it all out. And um, now that we have that slab out there, we're going to be building a canopy on it to make it a little bit safer and make it a yeah. little bit easier for me. But my neighbor, my neighbors are amazing, and they own a construction or a uh, concrete and excavation company. And they, I, I'm, a, I'm a little jealous of all that. Like the last deer I, I processed here, I usually where I hunt, I process where I'm at, so I'm bringing right. home cuts, right? Because um, they have the place I hunt, they have everything. They have a walking cooler, so. Right. I'll usually skin the deer and throw it in the cooler skinned overnight so it's nice and stiff when I part right. it out the next day. And unless it's the last day and I got to do it and get it in the cooler. Um, but the last time I did a deer here, my wife found one on the road and she's like, there's a deer on the road. And I'm like, all right. She goes, no, you understand. When I left, it wasn't there. And when I came right. back, it was. And it was like 38 degrees out on top of it all. And I'm like, it's probably hammered and wrecked. And I was leaving the next morning, too, to go out of yeah. town. So I'm like, I really don't have time for this. I go down there. It's like a freaking 75-pound button buck. Right. So I can't even tell where it was hit. When I when I skinned it, it had it looked like a 50-cent piece-sized uh, bruise. That's all the damage it had. White or uh, pink foamy coming out. So I knew it was lung damage coming out the nose. Right. Fresh dead, still warm. I'm like, 
I can't leave it. I got to do it. So I, I bring it home, right? And then I'm like, shit, what am I going to do? So I ended up taking a couple ropes, throwing them over the girders in my shop, hooking them up to the tendons on the back legs to lift them up, and then tied the other ends to the picnic table, mm-hmm. threw a couple hundred pounds of uh, weights from my weight set on top of the table, and then drug the table back, you mm-hmm. know, a side at a time while the deer kind of went up. So it was like a gambrel. And oh, yeah. And threw a big piece of cardboard under it and, and 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 processed it out. And like I'm like, yeah, I probably need to just invest in the equipment, but I don't do full animals here very often. Right. And that's and that's a big thing. And I mean it's like I there's a uh there's a piece of chain hanging from one of the garage door like joists in the shop. Yeah. And that's where I used to cut up deer before I had a shop. Gotcha. I like I still keep it there because it's like, hey, remember when you didn't have all this cool shit? Yeah. How easy that can go away? That chain's yeah. staying. Just for a reminder for you. Yeah, well, I mean, when I was a kid, we had uh, a cellar under what they called the shanty, which was actually the original first house that was built yep. in like the 1860s on the place. These big oak beams down there. And I don't even know what you call these nails, but they're nails that are like, they almost look like a peg. Yep. Right. And we would, we had na- like a couple spots where we had nails and all we would do is, is cut the, the bottom off the, the back foot. So it wasn't in the way, leave that tendon that's on the, like, like would be our ankle. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we would just take the deer and hang it up off the ceiling. Yeah. And we did all our, pro- all of our skinning and quartering down there. And then we brought it up into the shop to do, you know, heart breakdown and stuff like that. If it was, cold enough we just left them down there to hang for a while if it wasn't we would part it out and then we had this old ass refrigerator i mean it out I, I think the damn thing's still around because they used to build shit the last right. this thing had to be from the 30s it looked like a classic car it was like octagon <laughs> shaped and shit you know and so we would just we, we left it off like most of the year that's probably why it's lasted so long and then when hunt season would come we would plug it in and we would use it to keep the cuts cold until we were ready to cut them up and yeah, so, I, like, I come from a background of not having all that stuff. But then I look at it and go, you know, I could have it now, you know. But well, that's just it. I tell everyone that you can do this. Like, anyone can do this. You really can. Is it going to be as pretty as it is when I do it? Probably not. But are you going to get there? If you keep working at it, sure. But it's, again, I used to cut up deer in the back of trucks. Like, I yeah. used to be, I used to have to sit there and heave ho deer up on a porch porch railing to like be able to hang them like i did it all i started from the bottom now i'm here like it's one of those situations so yeah you can go you can go and you can buy all the fancy stuff right away but you're not going to appreciate it as much talk about how much meat a person can actually produce for themselves with let's say pork um because i think it's one of the easier animals that's larger to actually produce with i remember i had darby simpson on years ago and somebody had asked about raising two pigs. He's like, do not do two pigs. He's like, do eight. Yeah. He's like, it's no more work to do eight than two. You just got to feed them more. And yeah, when and you're done, you have six you can sell. And so he's like, do cute. eight. But, I mean, two pigs, you know, grown out is a lot of meat for a family. It really – it's it. I get more people that are shocked about how much meat they actually get back off a couple pigs yeah. than more often than not. Um, I absolutely agree with your buddy there. Like, yeah, if you're going to raise two, raise eight. That's basically what I did. I did pigs for the first time last year. I was like, I'll raise like three or four, like, and sell a couple will be good. But then everyone found out I was raising pigs. I'm like, well, I want a pig. And I was like, 
all right, cool. And I went out and bought more pigs. And I, I, I ended last year with nine pigs and four cows. Oh, wow. On my, and I was like, this is a lot. Like, this is a hell of a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you can – pork is what I would say is when you're going into larger livestock, start with pigs. Because, once again, it doesn't have to be the perfect, uh, like, textbook, rotational grazing, awesome pasture setup. You can do a down-and-dirty pig setup and get decent pork. Um, breeds are super important. If you like, if you go get Yorkshires, which are like, like babe, like whatever the stereotypical pink production pig is, you can mm-hmm. get one of those. You can raise them out in six months. They don't like, they don't need a huge pasture. You can raise them in semi confinement and you're solid. Feed them all, all your old table scraps, stuff you get from restaurants and just a regular cheap production pig grain that you can get from your local grain store. And in six, seven months, you have an animal that's going to be 300 pounds, live weight. And then you're ending up with a good 150 to 160 pounds of pork, which is a lot. Again, it surprises people when they bring in a pig and all of a sudden they're bringing out three coolers worth of food, worth of meat. And they're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. This this is a lot of lot of meat. Now, Now, this is an exceptional example. This pig was close to 500 pounds. Uh, what's yeah. in front of the screen right there, that's a three-foot by three-foot cutting board. Mm-hmm. And that's one back leg broken down. Yeah. No, I it's, mean, that, that, that's like cow-level amount of meat right there. No, for sure. I mean, 500 pounds is 500 pounds is around average on what I'm doing for hang weights on beef around here. Okay. I'm doing a lot of – where there's a lot of dairy operations around here and a lot of the smaller breeds because, again um, – like I said before, I'm going to be moving probably closer into like mini Herefords, uh, low line Angus, stuff like that, where their hang weight's only about on the high end, 400 pounds. Yeah. But I can raise them out in 16 months. Like you'd be able to raise a bigger breed down in Texas. Cause up here, I have, we have a beef that's going in in October. He's a Holstein Hereford cross. He's a tank, but he, mm-hmm. he'll be 18, 19 months. By the oh, time wow. we get him in there, and he'll probably he's probably only going to hang at six fifty. <laughs> so it's one of those situations. If you got the time and you got the space for it, and you have the extra money to put it in the hay, beef is an awesome option. Yeah, but open yourself up to where it's like you're going to be losing money before you're making money with beef. Like I promise you. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll tell you what. Um, don't undersell pork. I think people judge pork based on what they buy in the store. Oh, absolutely. Watching the video instead of just the audio, if you look at the color of that meat, that does not look like pork from the supermarket mm-hmm. at all. Well, so I'm so I'm shooting myself in the foot a little bit with my program because I, I went into raising pork with the butcher mindset of, uh, like, I want amazing quality pork. I want good fat content. I want good marbling. Um, so we raise our gilts that we raise or our sows. Um, our sow is a Hereford at the moment, which I've, I've been posting a bunch of stuff on TikTok. And apparently it is a very rare breed that not a lot of people know about. And mm. if you are out there and you're interested in pigs, look up Hereford pigs. They're absolutely fantastic. Um, and we are, we crossbred them with that boar you pulled up a picture with earlier. 
he was a Osba Island Hog Mangalitsa cross. So, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Osbaz came out of Osba Island off the coast of Georgia. They're essentially a feral pig that past couple hundred years, people have been pulling them over. And there's now a standing like domestic population around the country. Um, I got mine from the only person, the, the only registered breeder in New England. I got it from him. He's a buddy who lives about 40 minutes away. Um, but I did this because we're going to be raising pigs all year round which means raising them through the winter and raising livestock through the winter in New Hampshire usually means you're feeding them to keep weight on them. You're mm. not feeding them to actually produce them. So I was looking for something where I wanted it to be a little more um, cold weather tolerant. So adding the hair from the mangalitas, sure. um, the feed conversion rate on the Osbaz is absolutely fantastic. Cause again, they're essentially a feral pig that was evolved on an Island. Mm-hmm. Like they can drink salt water. Like they, they run the gambit of they are um, immune to most diseases. Like their immune systems are absolutely fantastic. So the trade-off on that is in Osaba or a Mangalitsa, they're going to take about 14 months to grow to bone maturity. So I'm threading the needle a little bit. No, I got make, you. I get it. It makes me think of guinea. about a seven months. It makes so, me think of guinea hogs. Mike out of Tennessee yep. got us to do guinea hogs at the place we had in West Virginia. And it was one of the best eating things I ever ate. But you're looking at like an 18-month cycle to get them to full size. And then they're half lard, which exactly. isn't a terrible thing, but it's a long time to wait. Right. But it was some of the best pork I've ever eaten in my life. And you can see how that, that breed has done well in that part of Appalachia because – Basically, they're letting those animals finish on acorns, and they train them. They just let them go like letting a stray dog go, and they come back every night. Exactly. So it's it's one of those situations where it's very breed-dependent on what you're going to do as well. Again, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm putting all my eggs in the basket um, yeah. and trying to figure out what's going to work best for me and my location. I could I could come on next year, and I could have completely scrapped this whole thing and gone to something completely different. But I think I have I, I think I have a good process of how I'm thinking and with the piglets I have on the ground right now, I am beyond excited. Um they are absolutely fantastic. Um there's such a mix of the breeds there. We did save a boar out of this group and he'll be our new breeder boar. We'll get a couple more Hereford gilts um to breed to him, but he's built like a Hereford. He's got the um Osaba kind of facial structure mm-hmm. with the Mangalitsa hair, which is exactly what I was going for. Okay. So Very it's cool. one of those situations where it's like, perfect. Like this is going to be yeah. our testing year. Like we're going to see. You know what we just said though, is really important for people to understand. There is an exit button from anything that you choose to do. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I did turkeys for a number of years. I'll probably do them again, but I didn't feel like dealing with them the last two years. Yeah, it was that simple. I just didn't feel like dealing with them because they are they're Mack trucks at six weeks. And from one day to six weeks, they attempt to kill themselves every day. And I just didn't feel like dealing with them for the last two years. So I didn't do them. Um, We used to do quail. My wife won't eat the quail. Mm. I stopped doing quail. Yeah, it's I've taken a break from poultry for a while because I went so hot and heavy on poultry when I started because I wanted to learn and do do this. 
And now I'm at the point where I'm like, I've got so much other shit, so much other shit on my plate. I don't need to be worried about moving tractors, like yeah. tractors every day. But now going into next year where I'm just going to have pigs and not beef, I now have a four acre pasture that's already fenced in that I can be running poultry tractors in. Sure. So it's sure. one of those things where more than likely next year, I'm going to be raising turkeys. I'm going to be raising egg birds again. Yeah. Kind of like to recoup some of the loss of not raising beef, but also have more to sell like, and have more, have more protein for my family as well. Definitely. And, and it's worth doing. Uh, this is kind of an old joke picture, but it does say something about the quality of meat. It's a, it, what it actually says, I don't know if you can read the text in a little bitty screen there, but it says, guess who just spurred me in the calf and yeah. shit on my grill for the last time. Uh, it was one of the roosters and mm-hmm. you can see by the spurs there. Uh, but if you look at the color of that meat, oh, it's gorgeous. There is nothing. There is nothing in a store that looks like that. No, and that's what I do miss about raising my own turkeys. Was yeah. the meat is just incredible, and we pass we pasture raised all of our birds when we did up. Like once we got to this location, our other our our last our house that I moved in with my wife uh, before we were married. Yeah, that was a whole nother situation. I had a literally twenty by twenty foot section next to a 16 foot shed yeah and i had 60 birds and 10 right. rabbits and that was like chaos but See, I, I don't like processing poultry because i, I don't like plucking it. it that's why when i do a one-off like that that rooster there i just skin and take the leg quarters in the breast when i do turkeys there's a place that'll process birds for eight dollars a bird for me and i'm like if you want to process a 35 pound turkey for eight bucks you can have all the turkeys yeah, I, I had my biggest turkey I ever did was over 50 pounds dress weight. Yeah. So like that's that. my guilty. That's my like, I, that is the other reason I'm not in poultry at this point is yeah. because now I have the shop. I like the amount of people that ask me like, Oh, do you do birds? And no. it's a hard no. Immediately. <laughs> hard no. But I also know me. And if yeah. I do poultry again, I'm not going to do 10. Yeah. I'm going to do 40. Yeah. Like I'm gonna go big, which means I need to buy the plucker. Plucker. I need to buy some type of scalder. Yeah. And all of that. And that stuff's not cheap. So yeah. then all of a sudden it's gonna be like, well, I need to pay for this scalder and stuff. And that means I guess I need to start doing poultry. Yeah. So it's almost this dirty little secret of like, yeah. you know. But it's honestly, I hate to have to charge people what I have to charge. But you have to. Yeah, you have to. You absolutely there is it is so crazy how much I have to charge to process a five pound chicken. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's insane. And it's, that is why I really tell people, I'm like, listen, there are 10,000 YouTube videos of from ranging from experts on how to do it to a dude whose phone is on a picnic table on how to process chickens. Pick one. You'll be able to figure it out. Yeah. Like, my yeah. shortcut for cold ducks now is as soon as that bird's dead and it's still warm, I rip all the feathers that easily come off the breast. Mm-hmm. I cut the two breast cutlets off with the skin on. I hit them with a little blowtorch to take off the few little fly feathers, pop the legs open, pull the skin off them, and pull the leg quarters out. And what's left of the bird, I give it to one of the dogs, and when he's bored with it, I bury it. Whatever's left gets buried in the freaking compost pile. So you'll never see a duck on this property again. <laughs> ever you if you want to hate ducks, ducks man because ducks are way harder to plug oh they're awful 
They really? are awful. Same dude does ducks for me for six bucks. I'm like, oh. so if I have a bunch to go, man, it's yeah, it's just like a 45 minute drive out there and then a 45 minute drive back, and then you got to go pick because you're not going to sit there while they do it. So then it's you know it, it's it's an hour and a half twice. That's three hours out of your day. Right. But and I don't I don't like doing them. But again, I know myself, so it's. I'm not going to pay someone to do it because it's no. what I do for a living. It's like it'd be if my wife, if I was a mechanic and my wife took her car to another shop, I'm like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm yeah, I got gonna you myself. And I'm going to be pissed off the entire time. I got you. So I had one more question for you on my notes, but it actually is Hoag's, uh first question for the Q and a from the audience. So let's just go to his. What is your favorite meat to process? Hmm. That's a, it's a bit of a loaded question. Um, I love processing beef because you're doing something like you're throwing around a whole beef. Like, cause, um, again, I do everything start to finish. Um, I, I call it bullet to freezer. Like you bring a live cow and you leave with coolers full of meat. So the process of slaughtering a cow it's again, you're doing something. You're actually getting in there, getting your hands dirty, really like just getting into it. But it's, there's so many different cuts you can get off it. It's, I'm such a nerd. I'm such a nerd about it. Like I just love the entire process. But then also at the same time, I love breaking down deer and mm. bears and stuff like that because that's where I started. Like, sure. again, I can't tell you how many free deer I cut up from my buddies back in the day. Mm. Cause I was like, Hey, I want to be a butcher. And they're like, Oh, sure you do. Like here, cut up my deer for free. Okay. Here's, here's a 30 rack. And I'm like, cool. Awesome. Thank you. Like, so I would probably say beef is my favorite to process. Followed up very quickly by deer. For me, I would say it's probably pigs, especially when, like, when I go deer hunting, the place I hunt, they're like, if you see a pig, kill it. Yeah. Like, it's just, no no charge, kill all the pigs you want. Right. And, you know, every once in a while, you get one that's two, 250, somewhere in that range. Oh, yeah. And so they're big enough to be substantial. They're still easy to work with once you get them right. gutted and hung up. And kind of what you were saying about the, the cow is, with the limited equipment I have, that's about as much as I want to do, but now you're doing something and it's kind of fun to like pick apart where and how you're going to like, you don't have, it's not like there's a right way as in one way to let's say like that hog leg I brought up earlier to break down that leg. There's plenty of ways to do it that are right. And you look at the size of the animal and what you're doing and you kind of game out. What do I want to do with this? Do I want to leave this as a roast? Do I want to make these into pork steaks? Do I want to make this in the grind? Do I want to cut the, you know, the copa out so I can cure it? Like all of that stuff, you know, um, is just, it's kind of fun to game that out. And that's why I've been talking about it a lot lately. Yeah. Uh, there's so many different things you can do. I do. I do love breaking down pork. Um, and it's, I, I'm actually going to change my answer. My favorite animals to process are the animals that I've raised personally because Again, I was, I've been a butcher longer than I've been a farmer by a long shot. So it's, I've taken all of these skills I've learned over for over a decade. And now I'm able to half of these animals I've seen be born. Now I've raised them for a year or more. I've seen them every single day. I know exactly what they're eating. I'm feeding them in a certain way. 
because I know if I do this, they're going to have this fat content. I know if I do this, they're going to have this type of marbling. And then I'm able to shoot it, bring it into my shop that I've built, cut it up and put it in my freezer. Okay. It is, it is completely full circle and it makes me so happy. Like it's one of those, like you got to sit, sit back and go, Oh, I did it. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. Serious. (laughs) I kind of feel that way about animals that I hunt. Yeah. Because I feel like you earned the right to that animal. In your case, you earned it through growing it as a hunter. You earn it through, it doesn't just walk up to you and go, Hey man, it's okay. Like it tries to get away and you have to earn that right. And it's for sure. It's very primal, you know, in Mm. its nature that you, went out, met this animal as Pori in its own world, were able to take it and then take it from, because my wife always is kind of shocked once I get the meat in the house and she looks at it and it just looks like meat from the store. Yeah. Like that's always kind of surprising to her, you know. I remember like when we first got together, she's like, well, if you shoot, we were up in Arkansas, she says, you shoot a deer, you ain't going to gut it in the house. I said, why the hell would I gut it in the house? Like, yeah. Okay, I got my, my wife was a vegetarian up until oh, wow. she was pregnant with our first kid. Like, yeah. uh, another question from the audience: What was the process to get licensed? You're an exempt. Explain what that really means to people. So it, it's very different state to state. Um, in New Hampshire, being custom exempt essentially means that everything I do is not for sale. Um, everything in the coolers marked not for sale. All my packages are marked not for sale. What I process is for you and your family. Correct. Again, we've kind of touched on some ways to make that work in other situations. Um, But then you run into places like Texas, where Texas is, it is an absolute shit show to try and do anything. It's impossible. It's borderline impossible to do anything on your own and have it be profitable because the state's going to come in and shut you down immediately. Yeah, It's, it's a difficult situation. Like... Even the facility I use that I was talking about does my birds for me. Mm. They're kind of in yours, even though they sell meat from a counter. That meat is a different sourced meat. Right. They're bringing in primals and breaking them down for resale. And they also make products like bacon and meat sticks and stuff. All the right. stuff that they process for customers, they can only process for the customer. So when you get the bird back, it's stamped with the meat stamp, not for resale. Right. You know, the, 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 the blue shit that they put on the meat itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I occasionally buy a half cow. I'll split it with another customer from a dude down the road. And basically he sells us the cow before it ends up there. Exactly. And we have to do it that way. We're like co-owners in the cow. And the guy that I had last time, for instance, he didn't want any of the bones. So I got all the marrow bones and stuff like that, which was cool. Um, but you're, we're playing a game. It's a game. It's absolutely around a regulation. And Texas has got this. I saw my wife on this morning, this reputation for being like one of the freest states in the country. In some areas it is. In other areas, it's incredibly totalitarian. And in the agricultural world, it is not a free state. No, and I've talked about that a bunch on different podcasts where it's like, because I've talked to Josh, I've been on uh, Josh the Renegade Butcher's podcast a bunch, and we've talked about it because where, where it really breaks down is New Hampshire is a very agricultural community but not overly agricultural. We don't have the infrastructure to make it a booming agricultural community. And that's partially because 
it's freezing cold half the year and nobody wants to raise anything because it's hard. You right? also have terrain, right? There's no rain. You can't we have, have a thousand acre farm. We don't have it. Yeah. doesn't exist. We don't have it. Texas, you guys have more slaughterhouses than we probably have Walmarts in the state of New Hampshire. Like we like it is completely different. So yep. then all of a sudden you get some lobbyists that are working with different slaughter facilities that are owned by really big companies. And it's like, hey, we want all the business. We don't want any these little guys getting fake ass grassroots organizations that go lobby to the state Senate and the state house. And they'll call them like the, uh, the backyard ranchers association or some shit like that. And it's all giant companies in reality that, that we had a big issue with some stuff with beekeepers recently. And there was yep. like the beekeepers association in Texas. And it turned out it was basically big. It was all companies that were importing honey from China. Of course. You know, and that brings up a big thing that I should like, I should tell your listeners and stuff like that. If you're raising your own, if you're raising your own livestock and you're not confident in cutting it up yourself, which I completely understand it's, it's an ordeal. You're you're getting into it. Yeah. You do end up going to a processor. Not all USDA facilities are bad. The one I worked with, I mm-hmm. owe I I owe the owners of that everything. I really do. I consider them family at this point. But I also know of other USDA facilities that are an hour away yeah. that I wouldn't send my enemy to. Yeah. Yeah. You need to don't just make a phone call off the like look up someplace on the internet make a phone call and make an appointment, go take the time, go in, meet these people, meet the people that are going to be handling your food. I always say that because I'm a producer. I raise my own livestock. I know exactly how much time, energy, money, just emotion goes into raising these things. And I put that into your product because I get it. I Mm -hmm. like, I completely understand that you don't have the time to break down a 700 pound beef. But also, it took a lot of time to get to that 700-pound beef. Yeah. So I'm going to give you everything I can. Yeah. Because you deserve it. Like, you're paying for it. So next question. We already did the favorite. What's your most hated animal to process? I think we're going to both land on poultry here. <laughs> Goats. Goats? Goats and sheep. Really? I hate them. I don't know why. why. It just, this is never a good answer to give, but yeah. it's my answer. They don't die easy. Okay. They are a pain in the ass. And I get it. I'm trying to put a bullet in their head. I completely yeah. understand stand them not wanting that to happen. Um, but it's I I think I've probably had two or three go perfect. Okay. But there's always an issue. There's always an issue every single time. And huh. yeah, there was if we if you got time for a story, there's my worst hated sheep story I ever had is I I've had a customer I still continue to do sheep for them, even though I really don't want to. They had uh, three sheep that I needed to do, and we were on the last one. The first two were pretty confined. It was pretty easy to just take a shot on them. Yeah. Um, and I was using his 9 millimeter because he wanted me to. I'm like, okay. right, I don't care. But the last one was in a bit of a bigger pen. And I told him, I'm like, listen, I've shot this gun twice, and it was from this far away. Yeah. So we're going to be – we're going to have to, like – corner this thing because yeah. I'm not taking a long distance shot on him. Yeah. So he swings the gate in and he's looking at one side to make sure it's up against the wall and doesn't notice there's about a foot and a half distance on this side. Okay. But me and this sheep make direct eye contact as we both look at that opening and this thing 
books it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so as he's going, and so as so the guy drops the gate just as it makes it around and grabs it right by the wool of the ass. Yeah. As this thing is just headbutting me right in the knee. Uh. So now as I fall, I land on it and get it in like almost like a chokehold. <laughs> and I'm on top of this thing, gun in this hand, and I'm like, what the hell? What, like, how am I going to get this thing back in the pen to put a bullet in it? And then I'm like, hey, dummy, you're lying on it. And I look at the farmer and I go, hold on, move the gun over and just poo. <laughs> and I get, and then I get up. We're going to get a YouTube strike. I'm Keep going. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I, I get up. I'm still in work mode and adrenaline mode. So I get up, bleed it, and I get up and I'm like, it starts kicking. And I'm like, hey, you got freaking mud and blood on my boots and i look over and the farmer's just like <laughs> i'm like i'm really sorry he goes i mean the other scenario is we would have been hunting it and i'm like no 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 no. you would have been hunting it i'm not i'm not hunting your sheep and your master yeah, master. yeah. but yeah so yeah, that, that's, that's my luck thought they get it, 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 an animal like that 3006 in the head from 50 yards away it never knows it's coming sledgehammered down um i do hate goats yeah, but suck. I don't hate processing them. I hate goats. No, in general, I hate. I them. just in general have a complete, total contempt and hatred for goats. They ruin your life. They stink. They make lots of noise. Sheep are a much more agreeable animal, but I get what you're saying there. Um, Hogan says, "Has Kyle ever processed larger animals such as moose or brown bear?" So we don't have brown bear up here. We do have uh, moose. Um, I've helped with a couple moose um, back when I was doing. In between working retail, I was working at some deer shops and stuff like that. And I had helped package and kind of trim some moose. Um, I'm hoping this year I've been putting out a bunch of promotions about it and information. So I'm hoping to get a couple moose this year because I haven't done it yet. So it's kind of like one of those bucket list things. It's it's just a leaner cow. It's it's not going to be like it's going to be crazy, but... I haven't done a moose, but I've done an elk, and I assume that they're probably just about the same as one or the other. Uh, and it's work, dude. It is. Work. Oh, it's a ton of it's a ton of work. It really is. Moose are probably a little bit bigger than elk, especially yeah. up here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, and that's because I've had people be like, "Oh, you've never done a moose before? That's going to be crazy." I'm like, I do 700 pound beef every day. Yeah. Like, yeah. This. <laughs> yeah, it's not an Alaskan moose. Some of, I mean, those yeah. things are freaking eight foot at the haunch or some shit like I, that would be some work. Um, K box says protein quality of pork breeds. Is there a difference? Hmm. That's a whole nother podcast, but yes, yeah. short, short answer is yes. There is a drastic difference between. <sighs> I don't want to see, I want to see breeds. It's not so much that there's a quality difference. There's a quantifiable. There is a quantifiable difference. There is a quality difference depending on how you're doing it, but it also depends on what you're feeding them. Yeah. Like I had uh, last year, I had four Yorkshires, which again are the easy going production breed. You can get them done in six months, but I also raised those pigs on pasture and I gave them um, scraps. They also had um, a bunch of dairy, like a bunch of dairy product, dairy products and had the ability yeah. to run around and do whatever. And these things were borderline red meat, like, yeah. which again, yeah. I've cut up thousands of Yorkshires. Not all of them look like that. It's about how you take care of them and how you grow them. So 
yes, I went into my pig breeding with the thought of knowing exactly kind of looking at the breeds I was working with and how I was going to use them and what the quality was going to be. But again, you also have to know, depends on what you're feeding them. If you're feeding them just straight corn, doesn't matter if you have the most expensive pig on the planet. If you feed it just straight corn, it's going to be gross. Like it's just going to be super fatty. It's not going to have a bunch of nutrients into it. Yeah. So it does make a difference, but it's not the main difference. And that's what I'm saying. Like the breed differential on protein, protein quality. If I raise two pigs, one is like a heritage breed and one's like a pink pig the same way. There's going to be a difference, but I, I think quality would be then subjective, right? Some right. pigs are going to have, like, if you want marbling for, like, cured, you know, copper or something, like, they're going to have this insane marbling that's going to be beautiful that if another breed is bred the same way or raised the same way, it's not going to have it quite as intense. Right. But that's a subjective thing. And what are you raising the pig for, I guess, is the other side of it, like, you know. If you're talking about black-footed pigs in Spain, you better be raising that shit for ham because that's, like, the most expensive food on the planet. Well, it is. Yeah, exactly. Right? You know? I mean, so, like, you better be raising it for that purpose or you're wasting something really special. Um, Evergreen asks, what are you feeding your pigs? Are you able to produce any of your own feed? We already said you're, you're pasturing them. Yeah, so I'm pasturing. I do also feed, like, a regular production style, um, like, sow grower and, like, stuff like that. Um, I will switch to like a grower finisher towards the end. I do add corn to mine, um, especially where my pigs are. Because right now I have five Herefords in our three acre back pasture. I just separated my piglets, which are the crosses. So everybody right now is getting a um, combination of a production feed and some corn. Um, just to help with extra calories. And again, they also have a full pasture that they're going to be able to go through. Um, I do supplement with milk as much as I can. Um, kitchen scraps, stuff like that. They'll eat anything. They really um, like milk. I'll tell you they that. Love, that the- and there is nothing better than a milk raised pig. They are absolutely incredible. Um, we didn't do much for gardening this year of anything. I've got a black thumb. Mm-hmm. I really do. I And it's my ADD does not allow me to garden. I need to see whatever I'm, ra- I'm raising running around. Um, but a good thing to raise is pumpkins. Pumpkin, like if you just mm-hmm. have a giant pumpkin patch, you can take out whatever you want for yourself. Give it to your pigs. They absolutely love them. And they're, it's back and forth of whether or not it's true, but they're also a natural dewormer. Like, I haven't had any worms in my pigs, and I give them as many pumpkins as I possibly can. So, and up your way, those neck pumpkins. Oh yeah, those are perfect. Absolutely, they don't do well for us, but up your way, or butternut squash, even like. Oh, they do fantastic up here. So yeah, yeah if you have like if you have excess um, excess pumpkins, um, we did corn last year. I didn't do a ton. I just kind of wanted to see how it would grow. And we ended up packing it up and feeding it to the cows and the pigs kind of thing. But, yeah, there are different strategies you can do to raise some sustainable extra food for them. Um, I haven't dived in as much as I should into that segment of it. I'd love to, 
Yeah. But I kind of I need to get you know, on a level playing ground first before I start doing that. Deer love pumpkins, too, just for oh, what sure that's worth. They like them busted open. They're not real smart about getting them open, and you don't really want them to figure that out. No, you sure don't. I had a buddy in PA that he used to have everybody just gave him their pumpkins after Halloween, and he would put them out in his back mm-hmm. pasture, and he'd have just deer coming in like crazy. I also had a dude that raised pigs, and he had a couple of friends that kind of lived in the suburbs with big old oak trees, white oh, yeah. oaks, and they would bring him he- like contractor hefty sacks oh, full I of wish. acorns that he would wrap in for his pigs because they they had so many acorns they had to do something. Yeah, and they would just well, rake them up, and they were the big ass white acorns too, yeah. you know. And that they're real palatable. So if you have access to that, it's another thing that you. Well, can that's do. my mindset about instead of having just a completely open hayfield, I'm going to start planting some apple trees, peach trees, black walnut trees, stuff that's going to create mass that one me and my family can eat, but whatever I don't want to pick up, I can just let lay on the ground and just start putting animals through. Yeah, you turn all that food back into more food. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Ecomouse is asking if you do anything with agritourism. I don't yet. Um, we are thinking about doing some, um, uh, some like hip camp style stuff. Um, we've got a section out back that's kind of perfect for it. Um, so we're looking into that as another revenue stream. Again, we're at the point right now where it's, I've got two kids under five running the shop and the farm and now newly into content. So it's, I'm trying to balance everything out before I start stacking more stuff on top. So at some point, yes, we will more than likely be doing some type, some type of agro tourism on that. So. And Wayne says, poor Billy Bob. And uh, that's not really a question, but yeah, that rooster that I put up, that was Billy Roy Bob. (laughs) Uh, And, and my wife actually kind of, she wanted him gone. But when I went out and got rid of them, she was like, I feel kind of bad now. And like a week later, she's like, it is so peaceful here now. No, he I was a dick. He would run around and like sneak. He would literally sneak up on people and then run up and spur you in the calves. Oh, yeah. No, I had a rooster like that. But it's, <laughs> we had, I think at the time we had 20 birds and one rooster and we just let him free range. So I really wanted a rooster because, again, it's yeah. all open hayfield here. Like, yeah, they could get picked off quick. Yeah. Um, and he was an asshole. And then yeah. one day he went after uh, my daughter and I was like, you're done. You're done. Yards away. Tink. Done. You're All right. done. You're done. I had one years ago that broke a piece of his spur off in my leg. And he was about 35 seconds between doing that and hanging from a tree. Yeah. Like it was like yeah. instant. No, that ain't happening. Right. Exactly. Uh, the one I got now is probably one of Billy Roy's grandchildren and he's just chill as shit. He doesn't right. ever bother anybody. So he's, he's safe for the time being. Um, KF says, what about a captive bolt pistol versus a firearm? I would think it's an expensive piece of equipment and you have to have enough volume to make it worth. Plus, yeah, like, you were talking I, about with that cheap. That wasn't really helpful because you need like a killing shoot to be able exactly, to exactly. So I use um, currently I have a Taurus Judge um, chairman to forty five long call. Um, I like that because again I can put in forty five long call. I can put in four ten slug. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a break action um, four ten that I use for like longer distance shots. 
I know there's going to be somebody on here. It's like, you can do just about anything with a 22. And I'm like, you know what else you can do? You can do a 410 or a 45 long call. Yeah. Goddamn sure. Yeah. And I'll eat, and, but even then, I've had mishaps with that where it's, you need a second shot. Um, yeah, the captive bolt, I've used them. I don't have a problem with them, but I'm also not going to spend a thousand dollars on it. Yeah. But I can also go out and spend a thousand dollars on a gun and put it as a tax right. right And then you have a gun and one bullet's 35 cents and you're done. Right. Exactly. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a believer there's no such thing as too much gun. No. Um, Years and years ago, it was raining outside, but we had these raccoons come into our porch, and they were destroying the bird feeders, and Dorothy was finally fed up with it, so I started, I called it my scotch-infused raccoon rage hunting, and we would sit in the window of our place in Arkansas after the lights went out and shoot raccoons off the porch. Yeah. And uh, the raccoon comes up, and he stands up to start pulling the bird feeder down, and I pop, I mean, I popped him in the ear hole. It's like a 10-yard shot. I could, because it's a 22, no recoil. I could see the bullet go in the ear hole. He tumbles down off the thing, and I'm like, well, I better go get him so he's not stinking in the morning. And I walk out there, and that sucker went zombie coon. I'm yeah. in like a ravine. I'm in flip-flops in my drawers. And I got, fortunately, I got my Patrick neck knife on, right? And I, I can't go backwards. And this thing's looking like he's going to bite me in the nads. Right. I ended up in a knife fight with a raccoon, and that went to 410, number four buck. Yeah. That was from that point forward, like, I'm not doing this ever again. And that's and that's just it. I've had too many mishaps with a 22 where it's just not angled right or it's whatever. And it's, you know what? 45 works great. I use the um, cowboy action rounds. So yeah. it's an all-lead round, and it's already yeah. it's already packed a little bit lighter. So yeah. I'm not blasting through. Um because there is that issue. There is that issue of mm-hmm. if it's a smaller pig, all of a sudden you have a round that's going to be going through that pig's head. Yep. And it's you need to be present about where you are because yep. hey, guess what? It's a gun. Like, it's, yeah. I'm with you. Do you use electric fences to keep your pigs in? I use both. I am anal about my fencing. I. Yeah. I, I have such fence anxiety that it's, I look at some of the people on YouTube where it's like, yeah, we have all of our 400-pound sows kept in with one strand of electric wire, and I'm sitting there just going, like, heavy breathing, looking at it like, please, God, no. So I do um, woven wire. Um, I stretch that out with the tractor, and then I run two strands of electric as well. Okay. Um, it's one of those things, like I said, I have anxiety about it. And it's also, if the power goes out, guess what? I still got fencing. And I've put my fencing in in a way that if we don't have power for a long time, God knows what happens. It They'll still be stable. It'll still hold animals in to a point where I'm not going to have to worry about it as much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause I think pigs, once they're trained to electric, they're oh, better than cattle about not testing it, but every once in a while they will. And once they figure it out, they're like, Oh, well, that's, oh, just, it. that's just it. It's like, I'm always, and um, anyone who's interested, I've got, a ton of videos of putting up both woven wire and electric fencing. Um, I'm a big proponent of wherever my gates are. I give a wide berth for the electric fence so I can open the gate and I don't have to worry about reaching over and unhooking electric and stuff like that. And you can look at all of those sections and it's torn up, torn up where that across that nothing, they will not touch it. And yeah. it's one strand. It is, it yeah. is literally one strand that they just will not pass. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, this has been a great discussion. I'm going to suggest people definitely like subscribe to you, you somewhere on social. I've got your TikTok. I've got your YouTube. I've got your Instagram. I've got your YouTube up on the screen right now for people. All of those links will be in the audio show notes that will be available about 30 minutes from right now. If you go there now, it's in the video below, link below. But if you do that now, it won't be there because we're not done yet. I get somebody every day. It doesn't work. We're not done yet. Yeah, we're not done. <laughs> we're not done yet. Uh, but it will be there. And so all of the stuff that Kyle has will be there. You can uh, subscribe to him. Uh, definitely do that. I really appreciate you being with us today. It was a great discussion. No, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. And, uh, yeah, thank you for plugging all my stuff. I've been having fun with it all. So I hope everyone enjoys it as well. All right, man. Thanks a lot. All right, folks, real quick before I go, I want to let you guys uh, just remind you guys that you can always help support this show and the work that I do uh, a couple different ways. One is become a member of the MSB. And the truth is, if you guys weren't members, if I didn't have a bunch of you that were, I couldn't do this every day. That is how I really pay, you know, the server bill to run a show like this is about 800 bucks a month just for the server bill. Uh, so I really appreciate all of y'all that support my work and my efforts by becoming members of the Member Support Brigade. You just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members. Check out all the flipping discounts you get and then realize it doesn't actually cost anything at all because if you use the discounts, you more than get your money back. The other way you can help support us is to do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Really easy to remember. It only adds a couple seconds to your life uh, when you're going to buy something online, and you probably are. I also make recommendations, and every recommendation there, with the exception of one or two that were provided to me, are things that I researched, found on my own, and bought because I need them, and I would buy them again, or they don't get on my website. And I don't actually see myself buying these bags again because, as we were talking about with Kyle, he uses a cryovac. I did out a chamber vacuum machine, and I really love it. But I know a lot of you guys still use old-school vacuum sealers. And the weak link in them, to me, has always been the bags. So before I got my, my chamber vac, I was on a quest, and I found these bags made by a company called Avid Armor, A-V-I-D, Avid Armor. And they are the best bags for the money that I could find. And I have the least amount of failures with them. And so if you're still using a standard vacuum sealer and you want the best bags for the money, these are the ones that I found. I got a bunch of questions about that during yesterday's show. Uh, so I thought I would go ahead and bring them around today. Kind of fits well with what we're talking about today. Um, I think that everybody should have either a vacuum sealer or a chamber vac. If you're interested in the vacuum or the chamber vacuum machine, uh, that I have. It's actually linked on I, at the beginning. It's there's a note that says I've switched. It's a VacMaster VP230. They're about 1100 bucks. It is a buy once, cry once thing in my opinion. I will never go back. I am so happy I have that thing. Uh, and I it, I can even tell you I'll have to put some out maybe later this week. I think it's called Digital Deck Covers or something like that. We keep mine outside. There's just no room for this big machine to be out in the kitchen. And uh, so I bought a custom cover. This company, uh, I should reach out to them, see if they want to do something for MSB. I just don't know how much business it would be because it's a very one-off thing. But they have custom covers for every appliance or thing like that you can think of, and that keeps it nice and safe outside. So if you want to know the chamber vac I use, it's in that write-up as well. With that, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. We will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow uh, you will have a Just Jack show, and we are going to be talking about something we, we haven't really talked about 
uh, for a while, which is kind of the basics of, uh, uh, of preparedness as a whole. Uh, but we're going to be talking about it from a standpoint of the financial crisis that we're sitting in the middle of right now. The title of the episode is going to be called Beyond Teotihuacan, Building Your Personal Safety Net. So we're going to use that to go back through the fundamentals of preparedness that I built this show on from the very beginning. And we'll talk somewhat about the economic situation that makes us need to take that a little bit more seriously right now. Because the basic concept of tomorrow's show is going to be the world probably will not end, but your world could. And that's why we really prepare. So I hope you look forward to tomorrow's show, Friday Expert Council Q&A, and we'll come back next week and do it all again. And quick reminder, guys, the uh, workshop, TSP 23 workshop, goes on sale Saturday morning, 0930 Central Standard Time. I pushed the, 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 the sign-up date out a full week. I don't want to hear anybody yelling at me the next day. I thought I was going to be able to come, and I didn't know. I've tried to put this out as much as I can. I promise you. Five minutes to 30 minutes, somewhere in that range. This thing is going to sell out like it always does. If you want to be there, odds are if you get out of bed, are on time, and are waiting and watching the Telegram channel at 930 in the morning, central time, you will be able to come. If you wait an hour, you probably won't. So if you want to come, I would love to see you this year. I love having new people come out. It's going to be one of the best ones ever. And, again, I'll catch you tomorrow with another episode. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way